Hello, Managing Madrid Podcast listeners. This is your host, Kian Subani. Tonight's episode comes in two parts. Part one, I am joined by Nico Morales of The Ringer, The Athletic, Statsbum, and a bunch of other places. He helps me preview the Manchester City game. And then part two, O'Marvin joins the show to break down what happened in Levante, which was, quite frankly, a disaster of a result and not too hot of a performance, as you all saw. Um, Truth be told, we all kind of were hoping that we could just mainly focus on Manchester City tonight. Like heading into this game, we thought, okay, we'll we'll go over the win against Levante. We'll talk about you know the talking points, and then we'll quickly shift gears to uh, a much anticipated brawl against Pep Guardiola and a season-defining week. And uh, we probably spent way more time on Levante than we thought we would because there were just so many tactical wrinkles to break down what happened, what went wrong. And also on part two, the news came in um, about Hazard and uh, the the basically Zidane saying in the post-game presser that it's not looking good. So that that changed the tone and we, we had to talk about, you know, what's the lineup without him against Manchester City if if, if that if that has to, uh, if that situation arises, kind of what does the team look like? Um before we get underway, two very important things. The first thing is this Thursday, if you're in Madrid, you have to come up because we're doing a live Managing Madrid podcast, and uh, it's at the Irish Rover again. We did one at the Irish Rover earlier this year, earlier this season, and it was a packed house. It was so much fun, and we're doing it again at the Irish Rover. So come upstairs uh, at the Irish Rover at 7 p.m. on Thursday, February 27th in that cozy room, the same cozy room we recorded in last time. Uh, come meet a bunch of maridistas, a bunch of cool people, a bunch of journalists who will be in the crowd, no doubt. Uh, fellow listeners, fellow patrons, come meet us, come hang out with us, hang out after, have some drinks. They have great food. They have great drinks. Uh, myself and Ewan McTeer will be on stage as well as Ben Hayward. So we're gonna do uh, we're going to do a post-game show for the, for the Manchester City game. And then we're going to preview El Clasico. Um, and so it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we're looking to do these in Madrid monthly now. And if not in Madrid, uh, somewhere on earth, wherever the, the team may be for preseason, and we're already looking out west in the in North America uh, when the season is over. But for now, Madrid, um, next one is this Thursday. Make sure you come out if you're in town. Um, it's free. You just There will be a donation box if you want. You can pay what you can, pay what you want. Uh, just to help us cover some costs because we do incur a lot of costs on these things. But uh, the most important thing is that you just come out. Um, the other thing was that if you want to listen to that episode but you can't make it in person, the only way to access it is if you're a patron over at patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Um, that show is going to be uploaded for patrons. And obviously whoever will be in attendance can obviously listen to it as well. So um, make sure you're a patron because if not, you'll miss a ton of bonus, ton of bonus content, and you do not want to miss the the value we'll be giving you that week and moving forward. Uh, uh, there's a lot of content coming your way on Patreon. Okay, without further ado, this is the Managing Madrid podcast, part one. Let's go. Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there, and worth reading about that man there. Benzema needs to rest and the numbers reveal why. 
All right, welcome to part one of the Managing Madrid podcast, where we are thrilled to have um, really our favorite type of podcast guest. He's a stats nerd. He's a ring. He's our. He's a writer for the Ringer, Athletic, uh, Stats Bomb, among many other places. We are thrilled to have Nico Morales on the show to talk about Manchester City. Nico, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, I did not have a chance to watch Manchester City's win over Leicester today. I did see that. Aguero missed a penalty and it was saved by Schmeichel. But what's the uh, what's what's the rundown of that game? How how you feeling? How was it? I think it was. I mean, I, let me. I actually haven't had a look at the uh, the XG quite yet. I always kind of like to temper my own um, expectations or conception of the game with that. You know, just because we aren't as objective as as the numbers, but actually pretty decisive there too. But I mean, I, I kind of felt like it was actually more up in the air than um, two point two eight. 2.71 suggests but yeah I mean City are in obviously like a really interesting situation right now with everything that's going off um or going on off the field um but it was a it was a satisfying win against what is usually a, a pretty frustrating opponent even though there was some very nervy moments especially towards the beginning I think Jamie Vardy hit the post um within the first 10 minutes so I mean it's always nervous playing against Leicester just because like ideologically that's the kind of team that um is in direct contrast to Pep Guardiola, one might say. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to get the win. Well, Real Madrid fans listening to this right now are completely traumatized about what from what they saw <laughs> against Levante. Um, doom and gloom. Very a lot of pessimism over here in uh, in in our corner. Uh, as when I find when two struggling teams, not that Manchester City is particularly su- struggling, although they're way behind the league, and this is pretty much all they're going to fight for. Is this is this. Uh, Big Champions League coming up, Champions League game coming up on Wednesday. I always find that fans of their own team struggling kind of are a bit more pessimistic, and they think like you know, well, Manchester City is gonna going to annihilate us, or or vice versa. Um, they kind of kind of grant uh, make their own problems a bit bigger than the other opponents. But if you were to kind of calm Real Madrid fans right now, what would you say? Is you know. Is there anything that we should be looking out for? That you know, is there anything that we can catch Manchester City on? What would you say to them to give them 100%. some hope? I, yeah, you guys should have plenty of hope. Honestly, I don't know if your sort of psychoanalysis of what um, you know fans do to their own teams prior to a Champions League tie is particularly accurate, but I'm always sort of feeling pessimistic about City in the Champions League just because of. <laughs> You know, the nature of how the team play, and, and I'm sure everybody that's listening to the podcast is relatively familiar, at least in concept, with um, with Pep Guardiola. So, I mean, this year, I don't think, you know, like you, you sort of mentioned, the, the, the gap between Liverpool and City is pretty significant. I don't think that gap is entirely indicative of how good City have been this year. Um, Laporte has been a big miss. I'm not saying we should be ahead or anything, but analytically, we're not really that far behind in terms of performances. It's just kind of not broken for us. Um, that being said, I think tactically, there's always just a way to get at City, especially as the years have gone on. Um, in that sort of first title-winning year, I would say what they were best at was just pinning opponents back in their own half, circulating the ball really well, and then if if they lost it, and that was a big if, the counterpress would just take care of it, and City were completely sort of dominating most opponents and then now you have this rise largely because of Klopp of these really uh, transitionally adept teams that you know they they launch the ball into spaces and and they make 
the city uncomfortable and and if anything if you want to prepare for for city on wednesday the the best game to watch is the most recent one against leicester because they kind of set up in like not too deep of a block but sort of a mid block um and they just made a lot of they made the opportunity for transition they made that apparent um and if you can kind of get city in this halfway house between they don't have the ball 80 percent of the time and they're always in your half and they're not necessarily always looking to create chances through their buildup because you're high pressing them so much, then there's space to be had. And they're really not that good of a team in transition. Their athletes don't like to, to get you know, locked in, a, in an athletic battle because the guys just really aren't that physically gifted. You look at sort of their, um, their title contenders, Liverpool, and it's a completely different team from a physical aspect. So I would say if, if Real Madrid can sort of perfect that approach that has been proven to work against City, which is just to um, try to put make the game as, as transitional as possible, then you have as good a chance as any at, at knocking Manchester City out. Yeah. Um, and I think when we're talking about the golf with Liverpool in terms of points, I think, I think the golf really comes in Liverpool's efficiency and their defense, which has been better. But I think it was interesting because Rafa Benitez said last week that you look at the XG... And Manchester City just create more chances than anyone. And I I looked it up too, and I realized that Manchester City actually create more chances than anyone in the entire continent in the major leagues. I mean, I didn't check beyond that, so we'll we'll just kind of narrow it down to the major leagues. But um, and then you watch them play because I ever since Real Madrid drew Manchester City and the the draw came out, we we knew we were playing you guys. Uh, I've made it a point to watch every single City game I can. I think the only ones I've missed are one or two of the Cup games, and I missed uh, the one today, uh, although I plan on catching up on it later. One of the things that just is just so clear and evident watching them play is like they're offensively they're just a supernova, and they can they can do they can hurt you in so many different ways. Um, Aguero is still lethal. Gabriel Jesus is giving you guys goals now. Kevin De Bruyne, I think, leads Europe in assists. The last time I checked was a couple of days ago. I don't know, I think anything's changed dramatically since then. But then defensively, you have like those games where you struggle, like that game against Wolves where they kept playing that ball over your high line. Um, and then Guardiola had to make adjustments in halftime, but he was down a man. And then that Tottenham game, because you mentioned, you know, the the teams that play stark contrast, Tottenham, Mourinho, obviously, that's like the the number one. Uh, in terms of the the contrast and playing styles, and and they hurt you. Although I don't know, even know how they won that game. Still, how much of that gets solved with Laporte back? Um, because everyone was when the draw came out, and everyone was talking about City's defense. A lot of people came out and said, "Yeah, but Laporte's gonna be back by then, so it doesn't matter." How much is this? How much of a difference does this one man make? A lot of it, because I think, you know, Laporte, if you look at how modern teams defend, especially a team like City that like to hold a high line and they, and they need to do, they, you need to have, a, you know, both a guy that is as good on the ball um, as he is, but also a physical specimen. That's why Laporte is so good. You know, I would say he's, you know, second or third on the list of defenders out there, Van Dyke being the first. You know, the, these guys are... Uh, they're physical freaks as well as you know really intelligent, um, gifted players on the ball. Um, so a lot of it is solved by his return. But at the same time, when you watch the game today, you'll see like Fernandinho is still a massive liability just because of his age and his lack of physicality. You know he's intelligent and he's clearly got the system in his mind and he knows where the ball needs to move. But he when he's isolated with even a guy like Jamie Vardy, which isn't to you know isn't to insult Jamie Vardy in any way, he's very quick. He's got uh, clearly defined 
uh, physical attributes that help him. And obviously, he's one of the top scoring strikers against uh, big clubs, let's say, so teams that leave him a lot of space. Um, but, you know, when he's up, when Fernandinho's up against a, a, any kind of sort of quick or physical player, which is, you know, either skill set that you're going to have as a, as a player up top, um, then he's going to struggle. So, our defense is largely reliant on Laporte just cleaning it up when when things kind of when a when a ball is miskicked or something goes awry or there's a wrong bounce. So yeah, a lot of it is solved by him. But at the same time, if you can sort of isolate that or get it on a different side of the field or simply target Fernandinho, then you're going to cause issues because he's he's just he's very unsound. So then, where do you obviously Fernandinho's best position is is the the anchor role, defensive midfielder role. Um, mm-hmm. With Rodri playing there, I mean, how 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 has this season been so far? Would you rather see Fernandinho there, or, or are you happy with Rodri there? How do, what do you think? I think there are elements of Fernandinho's game that don't translate from defensive midfielder to uh, central defender. There are just some passes he makes or some decisions that he makes on the ball that you can get away with or, or that even work in a defensive midfielder role that just don't work at central defender, and that's kind of been the issue. That being said, uh, I think Rodri's grown into his game a little bit i think at the beginning he imagined it was or not imagined but he was more accustomed to a a more tactically defined league that i would that i imagine uh, la liga to be in, in in my limited experience with it um whereas now especially today i thought he was excellent and against west ham he set some records with passing and all that yeah. he's more grown into like this i don't want to overuse the cliche but like a busquets role almost you know mm. he's picking up the fouls and slowing the game down in 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 the aspects that it needs to be slowed down and and doing doing the the right things with possession. Obviously, it's such a nuanced thing, and you can nitpick and say, you know, whatever. You, you can always be very specific and critical about what a player in that position and in that system needs to do, but I think he's really come on. Um, so I, I think Rodri has, has done an excellent job moving into that role more, especially as a Premier League player, but obviously things change in the Champions League because we're playing a Spanish team. So who knows? It could be better. It could be worse. But he, he's done pretty well so far. And he's he's uh, he's just slightly below Fernandinho, I think, in, in my perfect ideal DM in, in a Guardiola system. So Zidane basically has a couple options um, heading into this game. And I'm curious to know what you think would be, like if, if, if he wants to win that tie, I'm curious to know what you think would be the best option in terms of like just knowing what Manchester City or Pep Guardiola's kryptonite is. Um, and what would hurt them the most? So basically, option A is like the four-three-three, um, where you have you have Hazard on one flank, and I mean, and Hazard, by the way, limped off the field today, so I don't I don't know what his status is. I guess we'll know tomorrow. That's a that's a huge bummer. Um, but Hazard or whoever on the left wing, and then on the right wing, you probably have either Bale um, uh, or someone like Lucas Vasquez. Um, Bale is very hit or miss. He's he's at very very high ceiling and low floor. You don't know what version you're going to get from him. But the idea would be you get, you know, you get some help on the flank, kind of a two-way presence to defend Mares and uh and Raheem Sterling who you know, they they also work tremendously well on the flanks defensively, offensively they're great. So some help for for the wing backs and coverage there. Or option B is the the lineup that Zidane has used in big games this season, and that is like a diamond roll with with Isco at the at the pit at the tip of it, with Modric or Valverde plus Casemiro and Kroos. Um, the diamond brings you more control, um, less symmetry, so not as huge a presence on the right flank, a lot of possession on the left flank, 
and maybe less efficiency in transition offense because you don't have that quick, spacey winger on 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 both ends. So <laughs> basically, one option is possession control. Maybe maybe a little bit defanged offensively, although. Um, when they're all clicking, as we saw against PSG, it's you know it's quite lethal to have Isco, Hazard, Benzema, all of them together. Or option B, maybe a more conservative counterattack approach, less of the ball, and 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 wingers. Yeah, I'd definitely go with sort of the the latter of those two. I think it, you don't want to declaw yourself against Manchester City and the chances that you're going to get, um, because they're just really good at retaining the ball a lot of the time, even if you're a good possession team. So I would just more play into that and really you know i know you said hazard limped off the field and and you don't you're not really aware of the status of that quite yet but even bail against someone like fernandinho or the possibility of that you know just the stretching city as much as possible is i think the key to success with them and with their uncertainties this season um i wouldn't i don't see the the purpose in trying to control the midfield because they're going to probably do it anyways it's it's you know Simple fact is Manchester City have one of the best midfielders and or best midfield units, and that's interchangeable um, in Europe. So they're probably going to control that. So stretching them in areas where they're weak and they're weakest and where they're sort of systematically weak is probably the best approach, I think, because, like I said, that's that's where teams have had success this season, especially the, the difference in approach that I've seen against City is that teams really like to go wide on the counterattack and push a fullback up or push a winger up, and that just makes a team that's already bad in transition try to cover more space. So if you can do that with Bale or Hazard or whoever, it's it's all the better. So, I mean, the the fullbacks, I mean, I, I assume it's going to be Benjamin Mendy, right? Or he's, He played today, mm-hmm. so I, I think, I mean, I think so because Angelino is no longer at the club and Zinchenko, I wouldn't like that in a game. But again, if, if Pep, like what's bringing me sort of back systematically to this is like the the game that Bayern played against um against Barcelona when they had uh Messi and when they won the treble I think mm-hmm. um and he just went three he he just went three against three he wanted to control the ball and he just put like Rafinha Boateng and like uh Medi Benatia at the back and 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 just kind of went for it and said like we need to dominate possession we need to create chances and we're not going to care about what they're doing on the counterattack or we're going to limit it as much as possible I could see him doing that in which case it would probably be Zin- Jenko since he can invert best um but other than that i would assume it would be mendy okay i mean so and what's your read on mendy i've i guess you know he's had some good moments some bad moments um how confident are you today he was quite good and he's one of the only players like i said now that angelino's gone um that can cover that flank athletically obviously he's very physically gifted um and he's an absolute weapon in terms of crosses and interplay and like attacking you know when what city do so well is like they they overload that wide area um with a bunch of dangerous players so any variety of attacks can come you know you're either going to get that diagonal ball from de bruyne or you're going to get a direct take on from a wide player or you're going to get mendy that's going to attack in any variety of ways or pass it off or end up, uh, you know, getting a low cross into the box. Um, so he's a one of a kind weapon in that direction, but positionally he's quite bad. Uh, he relies on his athleticism to, to, to like care for him on the flank. So there's definitely space behind Benjamin Mendy to be exploited. I definitely like the, the offense worries me a lot. Uh, of Manchester City's offense that is, um, Ram defense has actually been uncharacteristically good this year. Um, <laughs> 
the numbers back it up. The eye test backs it up. Now, like the last two, three games have been shaky defensively. Today was the transition defense was terrible. Um, uh, but overall, like in, in the past two, three months, it's been really good. Part of it is because Casemiro has been more positionally disciplined and Fede Valverde has been great uh, lending a hand um, uh, to a, a, mid, a midfield trio that otherwise was dead last season, which was Casemiro, Kroos, and Modric. But Fede Valverde has breathed new life into it and also Hazard raises our offensive ceiling. But the coverage has been better. Oh, but the big difference was uh, Mendy also over Marcelo. It's a huge one. Um Ferland Mendy can actually defend really, really well. Um, and he's like, he's not, he's not bad offensively. Like he's better than I think what we thought he was going to be. Not Marcelo, but he's, he can hold his own. Um, I guess, and I'm kind of like in two worlds about that. What worries me, Nico, because I'm, I'm listening to what you're saying about like Pep's kryptonite. If, if he has one, it's, it's more of like the, you know, facing the counterattacks, facing the Tottenhams are those really, really aggressive, you know, um, transition attacks from Wolves. Um, rather than trying to duke it out with possession. Manchester United is also another one that's given you guys trouble this year, obviously. I guess what worries me is that I just have no idea which version of Bale shows up. Rodrigo, the other option at that position, who was good to start, has been out of the team. Looks like he's going to go back with the youth team. Um, and I just don't know if that the firepower is there on the wing because our other option is Lucas Vasquez. Um, and James Rodriguez hasn't seen the field in a long time. Uh what are the chances that Guardiola reinvents the wheel for this Champions League game? Because we we both know he's done that in the past. He's been criticized for it because his team have gone crashing out. Is there any potential for something bizarre and very weird from Guardiola in this game? I think there's a potential for like a weird lineup, but there's not necessarily a potential for um, you know, like a systematic change or an ideological change from a, like a footballing philosophy standpoint. I think he believes in the system that he that he has always perpetuated. He believes in the things that he puts forth. It's like from a coaching or team perspective, it's just better for him to be. And he's he's spoken about this because you know he's gotten that question about a million times. I think when he was at Bayern, he said. If I change my ideas about the way that I want to play, then how how why would I expect my players to believe in me when I'm saying that in the season or when I'm saying that in another point? You know, I have to believe in my ideas as much as you know as much as they do, so that that sort of thing passes on. So I don't you know I'm I don't think we're going to get a Diego Simeone esque Guardiola tomorrow or <laughs> not tomorrow but but Wednesday. Um, I, I think it's it's. What you can expect is what you know about Guardiola. The specific, the specifics are are what are always subject to change in how he goes about doing things, which is what has made him, you know, a good coach. You know, he's he won he won a Premier League with Fabian Delph at at sort of an inverted left back. You know, it's weird. Mm. Um, so, but you know, the, the the way in which he did those things is is, is always been the same. So I don't I don't think it's going to change massively. We're gonna we're gonna get what we what we paid for. It's just how we get it is 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 what's uh up to up to change yes or no um the idea that manchester city are out of the league title race and this is all they have to play for plus the the champions league ban which uh i guess we don't really know if it's going to hold up 100 percent. all of that makes manchester manchester city more dangerous to play against i don't think it makes them more dangerous to play against um i mean there's you can want something as bad as you know you can't always get what you want as 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 Lacan and and you know the Rolling Stones might have said um but if you try you know sometimes you get what you need but you know they they can want it as bad as they they do but 
the fact of the matter is is that you know City have been really good for three seasons now, and they've come up against some difficult opponents in the Champions League. Arguably, you know that first year that they won the title, that was the unluckiest draw that they could have had because they were really good, and the, and the team that they faced is probably like the silver bullet in in Klopp's Liverpool um, that that threw them for a whirl. Um, so I don't necessarily think it makes them more dangerous. There's a there's a greater emotional aspect, which obviously increases the watch value for the neutral. Given you know they'll probably miss at least one year, I imagine, of Champions League football. If not, if if the you know if the two years doesn't hold up, so it'll it makes it more interesting. But I don't necessarily think it makes them uh, any more of a contender because you know the the approach is is, is going to be the same no matter what. Um. The Champions League ban obviously is is a huge story and can't be ignored, and it kind of came out of nowhere. I I, I never expect these things to happen to big clubs, because just because I kind of assume they just wrestled their ways their way out of it with some money and some sweet talk, and and that's just the way it seems to work. But if it does hold hold up, I mean, and this this kind of this question almost stems from the fact that Oma and I are both huge Kevin De Bruyne fanboys. We like just the way he plays. He's so surgical. He's so smart. His IQ, his talent, everything—he just put the whole package. He's so good, and we always laughed off the idea of even talking about him or mentioning him on this podcast because he just seems so unattainable. If you get a, a couple years of Champions League banned football, do you think someone like him becomes all of a sudden more attainable because he looks at it and be like, "Well, I'm in my peak. My window is not that much longer. Um, I really want to win the Champions League. Two years of not playing in the Champions League. Mm, maybe I kind of want to try it somewhere. Is there is there any potential for any?" Anything like that with any of the big players on the team? A hundred and fifty percent. I think okay. it's you know, nice. These, these guys, these guys all have endorsement deals that are contingent upon them. You know, Nike, Nike, and Kevin De Bruyne is a Nike athlete. Raheem Sterling's a son, Nike athlete too. All these guys have big endorsement deals that are all contingent upon them playing in the biggest club competition in the world. They also have careers to worry about. They also have you know national teams that they have to care for and all these things. So yeah. I, and I don't even blame them for that. They, they, you want to play in the Champions League every year. Two time, two years is a lifetime in, in professional sports. So you know, I, I could definitely see anyone at the at the club, you know, kind of getting their head turned by interest from your team or, or other European giants, um, saying, you know, we have Champions League football, and that's a good reason to to come sign for us. Um, so I could I could definitely see players leaving if if the ban is upheld for sure. Um, what? worries you when you look at Real Madrid like what 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 worries Guardiola what worries Manchester City fans the most I can I can I say what worries me and what gives me hope can I do both of course okay so what worries me is Gareth Bale and the and Hazard and just like Hazard I just like imagine like Hazard like doing a bunch of step overs in Fernandinho just like ripping all MCL ACL LCL at the same time and then oh, like him scoring um so I imagine that I you know just like ridiculous individual ability that eviscerates any conception of a counter press mm. and then you know, you know just I you know wrecking a team that's not good in transition you know we've we've been wolves aren't a bad team but when you lose to wolves because of a bad transition game and lose like not in in a like Tottenham you got x you know we destroyed them on xg but they shouldn't have won type of thing um you know then you have problems you have sort of systematic problems mm. um but what gives me hope is 
the fact that the teams they have to at least like you said because Manchester City are so good in in sort of from an attacking perspective you have to commit to defending Manchester City the the formation that gives us the most trouble is sort of like the 4-5-1 or the 5-4-1 the christmas tree type thing that that you have to fully cover the width so that you don't get shifted around by the 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 movement and the the movement that the possession of Manchester City makes the defensive formation make. You can't be provoked by that. So you have to fully commit to defending. And while you have said, and I read Ohm's article about um, Real Madrid's uh, defensive uh, uptick given Ronaldo's departure, yeah. They're not necessarily a team, I think, that is synonymous with uh, fantastic team defending. So um, that is one thing that I think if we can kind of manipulate players that want to be attacking in the first place to simply not defend through you know tireless possession and and moving players through possession, um, then I could I could see it in in a in a very hopeful realm um, being a, a comfortable win maybe. Well, uh, there's there's a few things in there that are really interesting to me that what you just said. Um, I mean, it, and also like your point about four five one being an, an, uh, a potential threat to you also is interesting because if I, I I hate bringing this back again to Hazard if he doesn't play because now you you just spoke about things that worry you and you mentioned Hazard and every Real Madrid fan is like, oh God, please let Hazard be available <laughs> so that we can uh, we can strike that fear into them. Um, uh, one option that Zidane went with without Hazard when he was gone was he went with five midfielders to like an extreme of I've never seen that many central midfielders from Real Madrid in the same lineup. Like you'll see with Atletico where Simeone will put like 11 central midfielders on the, on the field. But he had Fede Valverde, Luka Modric, Toni Kroos, Casemiro, Isco. And he just kept the ball for like 300 minutes. Um I I if Hazard doesn't play that's I think that's an option that he would look at. Um and it and it looks like it would be toothless in transition, and it kind of is. I don't I don't know if it would work. Fede Valverde is underrated in his attack. He can like go down the right wing and and do stuff, but I don't know if that's really ideal. But one of the things when you when you mentioned Hazard, I I also go back and I remember watching Hazard when it was Chelsea versus Manchester City last season, where you basically had the ball the entire time, and Hazard's entire role in that game was to. <laughs> get the ball around the halfway line, completely isolated with no one around him, and try to score from that position, from get from point A to point B, point A <laughs> being the halfway line, point B being um, the box, and somehow trying to get there. And he actually held his own and did really well. And like he has that big game presence about him too. If he has a little bit of help, I can definitely see your concern being valid. I just now I'm just really worried that he he you know we wake up tomorrow and it's like worse than we thought because it's happened before. But um. Ah, talk us through your starting eleven. Like, what's the de facto lineup that you were probably going to see for Manchester City on Wednesday? Well, obviously, Aderson. I think. <laughs> um, yeah. Let me just take a look at the lineup today to have a better idea as to what I think it might be. Just to just to give myself a an anchor to base off of. We were really hoping that Otamendi would be a starter but you know he might <laughs> and that in is what work. scenario will that happen well uh, people underrate Otamendi's ability to progress the ball it's just his wild like that's the that's the like double-edged sword of it is that if it is a competent transitional game then he's going to get a yellow card and then he's either going to have to get subbed off or change his game or get a red card 
there's like an inevitability about Nico Otamendi that exists whenever he plays. But yeah, obviously Aderson, I think, I think obviously now that Zhao, now that we have Zhao Cancelo, he's he's like an adequate backup. Like Danilo was quite good, but there were problems with this game. So. It, if we decide to go for like a complete domination of possession, I could easily see if they want to rest Mendy or you know if he's gotten too many minutes in in recent uh, in recent games or, or or we want greater control of the midfield. I could see Zhao and Zinchenko being the fullbacks. I could also huh. easily see Zhao and Mendy being the uh, the fullbacks just to get double the width, double the athletic, you know, sort of coverage across the flanks. Um, Laporte's obviously a, a guaranteed starter. Yeah. I would imagine Fernandinho's in there um, just because I think the the buildup is such an important thing with him and he's been such a crucial player to that. Yeah. So if there's sort of any element of high pressing, that's who he would want back there. Um, I imagine Rodri starts. I don't think Gundogan will make the lineup this time. I think it'll probably be if uh, Silva's, uh, yeah, David Silva will be available. So it'll probably be a midfield of Rodrigo, David Silva, and Kevin De Bruyne, and then some amalgamation of uh, Aguero, Sterling, and Bernardo. I think Bernardo on the right, Sterling on the left. He Sterling didn't play today, did he? He was. No. He wasn't he even not. in the squad, was he? He was just being rested, no. or yeah, he was just being oh, rested. Okay. Um, every every I, you kind of go through that list and all those players that you mentioned, and you realize how many how many of those good players might miss out, and you realize how deep they are. Like maybe not defensively that much that deep, but like Gundogan, every time I've seen him play this year, he's been really good. Like his passing is so good, um, and the fact that you have players that are going to be on the bench to come on and, and give different looks is. Uh, that's a deep team, man. That's a deep team. Um, do you have any concluding thoughts before I wrap it up? I think we pretty much covered it. I'm excited to see the game, but uh, I'm I'm not excited if 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 Aiden Hazard is fit. That's what I'll say. Okay. <laughs> um, but depending on how the first leg goes and how much hostility there is between us, maybe we can <laughs> round you up for a second time before the second leg. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll play it by ear. Uh, we'll see. Uh, Nico, thank you so much for your time, my friend. Uh, everybody, go check out Nico's work. We'll link uh, his Twitter in the show notes. Uh, and also just say it at Nico underscore O Morales and you can read his work um, and he'll post it on Twitter I assume and uh, yeah thank you so much Nico take care my friend thank you for having me alright welcome to part 2 of the Managing Madrid podcast we are here uh, with Om Arvin and we are going to go through all the post game analysis we've had all the all the post game quotes come in um, the hazard news no es bueno uh, up until this point hopefully things will change tomorrow but it's not looking good um, we've also had a lot of time to process the the request for wholesale changes to every single player on the squad for Zidane to be fired. <laughs> um, and uh, I look forward to Real Madrid's next win where uh, everyone will be called the greatest of all time again. And in the meantime, while Real Madrid goes through its ups and downs, you're allowed, allowed to be polite to other human beings on Twitter and in the managing Madrid comments sec- uh, section. So for part two of this podcast, joining me to break this down, all of it in all its glory is Om Arvin. Om, how you doing? Uh, it's not the best, but um, you know, there were, and you know, already I can just see people like getting furious. But there were there were some nice things in this game, especially in the first half. Um, but you know, it ultimately was it was a bad result, and I think the way the second half went, you know, was quite disappointing. But, but 
but there there were some things to take away and I think largely a lot of this had to do with bad luck you know I, I don't think you like let people off I don't think you just say oh well that's it you know nothing could have been done better but you know it definitely was an unlucky game and and on another day things might have gone quite differently well, when you say things, there were some nice things. Can um, I also mention this in my my immediate reaction? Just that the Real Madrid actually had they were played well offensively up up until a certain point, and that's when they they got to a certain part of the pitch where things needed to be very surgical and extra precise, and the sh- mm-hmm. shooting needed to be good. And sometimes you just needed to shoot when you didn't, and and in that moment, Real Madrid goofed, and and you know, like I. This is a classic game of one of those games where it's very close to being a narrow victory. And if Real, if in this particular case, if Hazard and Benzema are better, this is a narrow victory. Um, Isco, Isco pulled a lot of nice strings, and uh, his teammates didn't finish, even when they got in good positions and the movement was good. But ultimately, also like you don't want to leave the margin this this small. You want to kind of you want to have a more convincing performance. Same with Salta. You don't want to leave it to like you know hazard comes off the field and you collapse or um or in this game where you just can't finish and then your best player in this game isco comes off the field and offensively doesn't get much better vinicius creates some danger and your transition defense has been what happened to the defense in the last uh i guess the celtic game wasn't so bad there were bad moments um but it was This one was just the second half where it just fell apart. The second half um, was pure chaos, but in the first half there there was one moment. Um, yeah, there was one moment, yeah. Where uh uh Morales doesn't he tries to get the ball to Mayoral. He should have passed that way earlier, but yeah. yeah. Um, um so let's start from the top then. Let's just start with everything. The starting lineup. Um and the I guess what what did you see in the first half? By the way, Lucas uh, rightfully predicted that this was the banana peel before the City and Barca games, uh, unfortunately. But what did you see in the first half? So yeah, I guess since I mentioned some positive things, I, I'll just start there because the first ten minutes were really very good, um, and then it quite, it slowed down until like the thirty fifth minute where we came back a little bit again. But like overall, the first half, you know, twelve shots to two. Um, we probably should have scored a goal. Um, it, it overall was pretty nice. Um, it, not optimal, but you know, after that first half, we were all sitting there like, or we should have all been sitting there, in my opinion, going, well, the process is okay. There's just needs to be some fine tuning with edu- execution. So the way Zidane approaches this is like when Isco starts and it's going to be a diamond, I never know how to feel beforehand because I always feel like it's going to be 50 50, right? It could be Isco in the PSG game where he stays between the lines, he's super disciplined, you know, offensively, and he's playing as an attacking midfielder, or it could be like the games after that, where, you know, he he wants to play more like a controlling central midfielder, and he's not interested in really making an impact off the ball. And that's when I start to feel iffy. Today was Isco from that PSG game, I felt like. It also Um, largely depends on the opponent, if you ask me. And it depends on how much the opponent pressures him and forces him to go backwards because he's, he's just not going to get the ball in the final third. And I, it, and part of it is obviously his positioning, but also um, Atletico just took him out of the game completely twice. And Valencia let him do did, do whatever he wants. PSG did not put very very much pressure on the team. They, they were terrible in the Bernabeu that day. Um, this game, he was great. 
Levante's defensive structure was like kind of meh and spectacular at times, but not so good at other times. And uh, sorry, Tok, I cut you off, but um, it kind of worries I mean, me if City will will take him out of the game too. I don't know. We'll see. So the, that is a relevant point, but I would still put a lot of it on Isco's feel for the day because if you like go back to seventeen eighteen, like it didn't really matter who we were playing. Isco would just always kind of do that same thing, but. <laughs> It's important to acknowledge that opposition dynamics like matter. They affect how a team will play. And it is definitely the case that I I was not impressed with Levante's defensive structure at all. And, you know, I don't think they made things hard for Real Madrid, especially with their initial defensive stance. Um, but I also think we still approached, Zidane approached this thing initially quite well. So Isco was a big factor, but just in general, like the like kind of overall structure was you know it was four, four, levante had a 442 medium block in the first half and you had cross you know as usual kind of sitting in that deep left half space casimir next to him um you know modric on the right and then you had hazard sitting a lot in that left half space benzema sitting between the two center backs ready to move you know and combine with hazard move to the left Isco starting off in the right half space between the lines. And if Modric chose to move out of, you know, this, his deeper positioning in line with Casemiro and Kroos and, you know, move into that right half space position, Isco would then take that as a signal to say, okay, I can move to the left now and create overloads there while still staying between the lines. And Casemiro would kind of shift over. And it was like we had two central midfielders and two attacking midfielders. They kind of shifted back and forth between that. And, if you just are able to visualize what that structure does to the opposition team, Hazard and Isco's narrow positioning meant that the fullbacks, you know, they, they were in a bind, right? Like, because Marcelo and Carvajal were positioned, you know, quite high because Levante only had four men in midfield. You know, they didn't have the defensive width to really protect against the pass to Marcelo or Carvajal whenever we switched, whenever we switched play. So if the Levante fullback decided, okay, we're going we're gonna to spring out and move to Marcelo or Carvajal, that just left, you know, Hazard or Isco free to receive in the half space. And even if the, you know, the wide midfield player tried to do the same thing, the passing lane became open to Hazard or Isco. So it was really good manipulation of, you know, Levante's, like, I, I think just starting off, like, it was an inferior structure against the diamond. And then the way they applied it made it even easier on, on us. Like, one playing a medium block or, or playing anything that's like not parking the bus without some amount of pressure and defensive activity from your strikers just means that, you know, the center backs are going to have all the time in the world to pick out their pass. And just the way naturally, you know, because our structure was, was, was really well designed in the beginning, you know, we, we constantly had those passing lanes. And so that it, it was like this initial setup where we had theoretically the basis to go on and do lots of nice things. And that's why in the first 10, 15 minutes, we did end up doing lots of nice things and we created nice chances. I think the issue comes down to, one, there was just a little bit of inefficiency and indecision when we broke the lines, how we were going to attack. Like we just didn't take advantage of it quickly enough. And once we got to the final third, it was like instinctually, it was like, all right, get it out wide and cross it when there were, I think, plenty of opportunities to continue to combine through a quite disorganized back line and play people through on goal, right? Like that Benzema chance came very much from that. Isco playing with through ball. Benzema obviously did not do enough with it. But it, w it was like, 
It was part of it was some inefficiency in execution. And then when we get to the final third, it's like, all right, let's set up to what we know, what, what we've always done, which is to go wide and cross. And I think we had 33 crosses in total this game. And I ended up checking on who scored and it was just consistent throughout. There wasn't any one period in the game where like skewed the number of crosses. It was throughout. It was cross, 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 cross. And I think it's the most we've ever had in the way game this season. And to me, yeah. it was more excusable the last game, right? Like Keon, you and I were like, you know, it wasn't the best, but when you're playing a deep block like that, it's it's kind of hard, right? But when you're playing Levante, who in the first half playing a medium block, by no means like trying to park the bus, and then in the second half pressing high, I think you can expect a lot more than just you know crossing the most times we had in an away game, especially because I think the offensive structure was actually good, and it it, it could have you know led itself to more varied types of attacking um you know i have more things to say about the offense but just you know that's like i think kind of my general take on like the tactical nature of it in the first half so when we're talking about crossing and um and also the 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 main talking point after the celta game was well when you look at the lineup um zidane's rotations were such that isco did not see the field and you know the discussion was well he would have helped go down the middle a little bit more um and then and then also the fact that you didn't have Jovic in there in that game to, to capitalize on the crosses. Obviously, him and Bale missed out on this game because they were ill. Um, Eduardo Alvarez texted me before the game with screenshots of Bale playing golf today. He was not happy. Um, uh, and then uh, and then this game, well, you look at what Isco solves in that regard. Um, and this kind of, I'm just going to bring a bunch of points into one here. Um you look at kind of what it took for Levante to win, and I'm just amazed over and over again in so many games where Real Madrid drop points in the league and they ultimately don't win the league. Um, knock on wood that that doesn't happen this season, but um, everything that can possibly go wrong goes wrong somehow. I don't, like, the margin of error <laughs> in actually in this game was quite large. Think of all the things it took for Levante to win this game 1-0. Um Benzema missed a great chance in the 82nd minute. Um, he was blocked by Postiga, who, who I don't know. Postiga had the game of his life. He was possessed defending Benzema. He was everywhere. He was like in in his shirt. He had 10 clearances. Um, but what somehow didn't show up in the statue because it says zero blocked shots and only one interception. He was making it so difficult for Benzema to even get a shot off all game. Um, but it took Benzema missing that. Hazard missing that break. Um, huge chance, yeah. huge chance. Um, where he just—I don't know what he was doing. Benzema twice in the box, so one in particular, one, one where Isco finds him, and then yeah, that was the one the I was talking about. Yeah, but yeah. then there was also another one where he doesn't even shoot. Um, he gets in this good position. He can, to me, I was like, he's obviously hitting that left foot, bottom right corner, far post. Um, and he ended up doing this kind of weird squared pass and didn't look confident with it. Isco had another great. Isco was great in in the first half in particular. Um, Isco had this really nice, like almost this a mirrored Messi to Alba pass, but it was on the opposite side to Carvajal, where he finds Carvajal in the box open. Um, and then you look at <laughs> the XG on Morales' shot was point zero three, and it took Courtois. I don't know if it was just because the shot was too hard and heavy and fast and came right at him like a bullet. He did not even contest it, not even put his hand up. I think he thought he was just going over the bar. He didn't see. I don't know what he did. But that goal doesn't go in 
97 times out of 100 and it went in and and uh this is a game that Real Madrid should have won if Benzema and Hazard just a bit sharper this is the win and uh that so that's that's I guess that's the annoying thing to me, and I don't I don't like looking at it this way. I think the standards of, uh, standards of Real just should be higher. Although I have a lot of respect for all the teams in the league, and I think a lot of teams are capable of punching above their weight. And I think we disrespect our opponents far too often because we often talk about what Real Madrid did wrong and not what the opponent did well. This is a game they should have won, and it's shocking to me that they lost this. And it was very close to being a narrow victory. And if that was a narrative changes and people are maybe aren't are, are kind of slowing down their takes. And I'm, let me just say this. Uh, I, if Real Madrid be Manchester city over two legs, all of a sudden it's going to be like, we told you, we told you, you have to be patient with Zidane. We told you, we told you, you have to, um, be patient with Benzema. He's doing games like this. Just like it's so volatile, everything, and it's so dependent on a very, very fine margin, um, which sometimes you get, sometimes you don't. But it is just frustrating that they consistently do this in the league, and um, it just needs to be needs to be rectified somehow. I don't know how, but you can't you can't keep dropping points in games that you're right there. You're winning. You should be winning, and you should have won. And you sh- you played good enough to win. Um, it's frustrating. Yeah, and it is more so where, like, I can understand giving, and, you know, we gave a ton of credit to Celta, right? Like, they put in amazing performance. Levante just weren't that good to me this game. And that, that to me, is what's the frustrating thing. Like, you mentioned individuals, you know, having certain good performances. But as a collective, like, this was very much set up for us to to win this, I think. Especially, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but I have to say it again, right? Like, with their mid-block, like, no pressure on the defenders we we had any pass we wanted whether that was into the fullbacks in space or playing it into the half space and when we had the mid block at our mercy and you know we had the ability to play in behind them like sometimes it just took long balls right like you know just a long ball over the top and we were in and we probably didn't test that enough because we had plenty of players off the running like ready to run off the shoulder of the defender right like even isco like made like five or six of those runs and he was ready to do it we just didn't get behind that defensive line enough and we just gave them too much time to reorganize into the box and that's when you know and and that's what's disappointing to me because that is not the sign of a good collective defensive team where you know we can sit back and say okay levante did really well um they didn't it was particular individuals morales with that goal and then you know the center backs who I guess defended the, you know the cross as well. Um, the other thing I you mentioned you touched upon Hazard and Benzema's performances. Weird games from both of them, especially Hazard. Um, there were you mentioned Benzema didn't shoot once. I thought there were plenty of opportunities in the box where Hazard kind of had his defender one versus one. If he just created this tiny bit of separation within this like two second span, he had shot into the far corner i'm not saying that like creates the the greatest most high quality chance in the world but you know we've watched hazard at chelsea how many times has he scored those types of goals from the left side of the box cutting inside and you know trying to put a shot in a far corner you know even if that doesn't go in but i see him create that like create that shot twice to me that's like that's the best you can get there instead of waiting 10 seconds on the ball till everyone reorganizes and then he passes the ball back outside and you know if there's one thing about Hazard, you know, not being the greatest goal scorer. He's definitely a great finisher. This man has consistently overperformed his expected goals. 
you know, it's when he shoots, you know, he tends to score, especially from those types of like what are minorly inefficient situations, but for Hazard are decent chances. And it was like those types of things where I just thought Hazard was weirdly indecisive. And then Benzema obviously wasn't the sharpest with some of the chances he was, you know, he missed and, and stuff like that. And like you said, if they, you know, if they were better, we probably win that game. But I just thought it was odd from Hazard because it wasn't necessarily the sharpness I guess aside from like that goal he missed, which to me I think was just more like, you know, he felt the pressure of that chance the whole way and he just let it get away from it. It was more the indecision that I saw from him, which I'm not used to because Hazard decides what to do in a split second and usually it's the correct decision. And I that just puzzled me a little bit and I think that hurt us. But yeah, it as it often is, it was a combination of a lot of factors that ended up contributing to it. Um, and then... Despite all of that, to me, the second half is where we lost it. The second half is where I really sit down and say, okay, that was that was a bad performance. Whereas the first half was like, you know, we were doing some good things and we just needed to kind of continue on that path while just making some minor tweaks. And yeah, the second half I find hard to explain, but we'll get to that. Hazard, I think something happened to him as the game progressed. And obviously, I think it was definitely related to him just not feeling 100% physically fit. Um, t- towards like the pretty much so the last like five to ten minutes or so, where he before he came off, he was he was limping, he was walking around, he just he looked he didn't look right. I thought he started off well enough where he like you know he start he started off the game with a nice through ball to Isco, who came over from the right and actually spent a lot of time on the right side to start the game. Um, his counter pressing was good. He you know he was dribbling out of out of presses out of the back. Um, helping Ramos defensively, but but something happened along the way where he just I don't know I think something something was off with him, and I think it was physically and once it's physical physically related then it affects you mentally too because you're you're scared going into certain challenges, you may not take that breakaway in full stride as you might you, you he wasn't shooting, uh, he wasn't putting any any mustard on any of his shots they were they were very tame mm. shots, um, Benzema. So I, have to, mm. so I have to quickly before we move on to Benzema I have to ask you. Because, I mean, this is something that's come up a lot. Maybe it's in the questions, but do you think it was the right decision to start Hazard again? Like, right, obviously he came back straight from injury. He looked surprisingly, like, extremely good physically versus Celta. But, and then Zidane afterwards said in the post-match press conference that Hazard took a knock in the exact same place on his ankle that was injured before. So, I mean, do you think, like, Zidane and, the you know, the medical staff, like, pushed it too much trying to, like, put Hazard two games in? you know, right before Manchester City, an extremely important game, right before Barca, like, you know, would it have been such a bad decision to have played Vinicius instead, you know, and given Hazard a bit of a rest? Or do you think this is more freak? Because, I, I mean, personally, after what I've heard, you know, about him getting injured in the same place, just what we know about how recovery works, I think it was a bit of a weird risk to play Hazard in this one. I think you give them the benefit of the doubt. Um and say they knew what they were doing, but ultimately got the wrong call, and it, and it could have happened at any any point. Because I think they were probably all surprised at how good he looked against Celta, and he was like, okay, well, instead of throwing him into Manchester City with a break in between, we need him more match fit. So instead of taking him off against Manchester City in the second half, we can actually play him the full 90 if we get him a bit more match fitness um, and play him against Levante, and then we can take him off after, in Levante uh, if we go up one or two goals. And then just bring on Vinicius. So I, I think it's easy in hindsight, you know, to say that I, I, I typically I don't feel like I know enough about sports science to answer this. I kind of give the benefit of the doubt to the doctors that they it just there was some bad luck and everyone f- 
felt like he was cleared to play and 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 it was a freak. I'm going to chalk it up to the a freak occurrence. Because uh, I think they also look at it from a match fitness perspective and and hope that they can get him 100% match fit. But you know, I, I think it's also a valid question and criticism to bring up. I just don't really know the answer. Um, Benzema, I, I knew something was. I, I knew this game was going to go to hell when in the fourth minute, he did this ridiculous back pass to Courtois where he just rainbows it into the sky. <laughs> and like basically ask Courtois to like bring it down and clear it in traffic. I don't know what that was. Um, oh, so one thing, uh, Marcelo is an interesting talking point here because I looked when I looked look looked at the who scored stats and who scored. It took me like five tries of trying <laughs> to look at who scored before it crashes in my computer. And but I I had to close restart close restart. Finally, saw some who scored stats. He had five key passes. I that was a team high. That was also a, a game high, I believe, because mm-hmm. uh, Mavante created nothing, nothing actually. Yeah, um, and that kind of caught me off guard. But then I and I went back and I well, I realized a lot of them were just in the second half where the the chaos had had begun and the party had begun. He was combining with Vinicius a little bit and it was back and forth. Um, but he was a focal point in terms of like some of those crosses were actually. I didn't mind some of them because they were actually cutbacks and cutbacks worked against Celta. Well, he scored against one. They scored against uh, Celta with one of the cutbacks, but they also created danger with them more than they did with the crossing. Um, but he was getting in good positions, especially in the first half where um, he would make the overlap and either Hazard or Benzema would get in the ball in the overlap. And you looked at how many players are in the six-yard box and the 18-yard box. And there was like five or six Real Madrid players there. Um, so I, I was okay with those crosses. Um, but I, like Levante oddly defended those like kind of chaotic sequences better than they did overall. Like, I don't know. This is why I said this top at the top of the segment that their defending at times was spectacular and other times not great. They were good at the, like kind of the last ditch stuff at times, but also just crowding and, and kind of just making sure that the box is plugged with a bunch of players they can clear. Um, Again, Postiga was great, but also uh, him and Bruno Gonzalez had so many clearances. They combined for 20 clearances in this game. Um, yeah, it, just a weird game. I, I don't so, know. So, Marcelo is interesting to me. Offensively, all around, I thought this was one of the better games Marcelo had had this season, even defensively, which just feels weird to say. I, I, I don't know how far back I'd have to go to say Marcelo had like a good defensive game. It's just, if you look at where most of Levante's attacks were coming from, they were actually on our right-hand side. And, you know, I'm not just saying this because that's where Morales scored from. Like, it, I mean, I don't know if you noticed that, Kian, but like Varane and Carvajal were constantly put under a ton of pressure. And not that much was just coming Marcelo's way. And a couple of times it did, he actually did a decent job in getting back and making some interventions. It wasn't like, you know... Mendy on fire or anything but yeah, it was it was more on the opposite really, side right yeah I couldn't really point out to Marcelo as being particularly vulnerable this game um and offensively I thought he gave us what we needed you know from the fullback position just that I think the offense could have been less you know I think he could have been less of a focal point just a little bit because I got you know there were situations where because if it was coming to Marcelo to cross it would mean because we had you know you know, failed to take advantage of this initial transition when we broke their lines. They had reset, and then Marcelo was the best option. Yeah. Um. 
you know, people, a lot of people asking why Mendy, you know, in the questions, you know, later, I, I'll just get to it now because I think it's important when understanding like the, the specific, how like players work within specific contexts. A lot of people asking why Mendy didn't play this game. In my opinion, like Mendy is not, it's just not the greatest option if you're going to play a diamond. If you're going to play a diamond, you know, where, you know, you really don't have defined wingers, where Isco is roaming, where, where Hazard is playing narrow, you need an offensive fullback, you know, to, to really to really provide a threat, to provide, you know, um, to provide a threat with positioning and then, you know, provide a threat when they get on the ball. I mean, that if you look at any of the diamonds, how they work throughout history, it's like they've got fullbacks that provide that threat. You know, that's what made the 16-17 diamond so dangerous. And I, I would wholeheartedly agree with anyone who says just in general Mendy has been the better player this season he should be the starter but I think it becomes a lot more difficult when you go with the diamond or something diamondish and then say Mendy should start I don't think that necessarily works that well so if Zidane wants Mendy to play personally I think it has to be the 4-3-3 I I think it Mendy's like weaknesses get more amplified in a diamond and it just, I think it just becomes tougher. And, you know, whatever offensive struggles we had today, I, I think, get amplified. I don't know, know necessarily how much Mendy actually solves if he was in for Marcelo this game. I think it actually might be a slight negative. Um, yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know how people will feel about that explanation, whether they think it's BS or something. But I think you really do have to consider how different players work within different circumstances and in general, in a vacuum, I want Mendy because Marcelo has, I, I hate to say it, and I really do, it really hurts me to say this, but Marcelo has not been that great this season. And Mendy has at times been spectacular defensively. But in this type of context, I think I think Marcelo is the right choice. Well, given the circumstances in that Mendy, if he got a yellow today, he would have missed Classico. And in, his, in Mendy's absence, Marcelo had a good game and he didn't really hurt us defensively. So um, I, think, I think that's just a fair way of putting it. Um, there's a few other interesting things, I guess, but um, I don't really like particularly like going here. But Ramos like laid into the referee after the game, like ex- <laughs> explit- ex- uh, expletives and a lot of nasty oh, words, and uh, even I, I think uh, enough curse words that even I think Gabe Lazaro would uh, would uh, his head <laughs> his head would spin trying to repeat them on the podcast. So do you think like a suspension is coming or just fine? Oh, I don't. I don't know. I don't think anything like severe like that is going to happen. But um, probably a fine though. He was just complaining the fact that you know he thought something personal was against him, and he asked the referee if something personal was against him, and he said like you know a captain should be allowed to to speak to the referee, and he felt like he's not even allowed to speak to the referee anymore. Obviously, he was pissed that he got booked so early, and especially after Roger Marty elbowed him in the ribs and got nothing. Um, Vuksovic with the high boot on Marcelo, nothing, just a foul. And then Ramos gets booked for being similarly late on, on another challenge shortly after. Obviously, we had the handball in the box that wasn't even reviewed. Do you, how much do we want to bring this into it? I kind of, I brought it into it because it's a talking point after the game that you just can't ignore at this point. But it was not, um, it was not Hernandez. Hernandez's best, best, uh, best game. Yeah, I mean, and I don't think it was some, a saying something. I don't think it was a great refereeing performance by any means. Like when it comes to discussing bias and stuff, like I'm just not the guy to discuss that with. Like it just doesn't interest me that much because I think it plays to like your own cognitive biases quite a bit. And I just don't know. There's, I don't think it's possible to discuss it in any kind of constructive manner. Like 
I don't believe no, that there's any bias by any referee. I just believe there's incompetence. I, as every I, I think it's incompetence, but the one thing I might buy is that like referees build stereotypes of like players in their head. Just that's just human psychology, and so like players who dive quite a lot, you will notice when there's legit fouls against them, they won't get caught because the referees like, I don't trust you, right? Like, you know, this happened to Cristiano Ronaldo quite a bit in the Premier League. It happens to Neymar quite a lot. Like Neymar gets fouled a lot more than any other player in the world. They're nasty fouls, but he also dives at an embarrassing rate. So like he just doesn't get protected. Now, Ramos has like a reputation as being aggressive. He has a reputation for picking up red cards. And it's totally possible that in this guy's mind, anytime Ramos goes in, he just gives Ramos no benefit of the doubt. He's like, this is who you are. And, you know, so with with that, like, kind of way of seeing Ramos in his head, that could color the decisions. That That is, to me, a totally legit way that, you know, just things can, can play out on a football pitch between referee and player. Because that's how human psychology works. And I've seen it in other examples. So I can see it coming from that instance. But I don't know if you can really say Hernandez Hernandez specifically hates Sergio Ramos. And, you know, is out to get Real Madrid. Like, I know there's plenty of people who will believe that and will argue that. Like, just not for me. Like, I'm just not into that kind of stuff. I think generally, like, people will only focus on the things that are done bad for their team. Like, you know, Barcelona fans say the same thing as us. And I find it just as ridiculous when Barcelona fans say. That being said, this is poorly refereed, you know. Ramos has a right to be angry just because Hernandez Hernandez has a stereotype of Ramos in his head, theoretically doesn't mean it's okay to make the wrong decisions and, you know, do what he did. Um, so I'm not going to excuse the refereeing quality, but yeah, there's not going to be a huge rant from me about how La Liga is trying to like take the title away from Real Madrid. Sorry to disappoint. Um, <clears throat> do we have any, do you want to, is there anything specific you want to talk about before we get to questions that we missed that we won't um, cover I mean, in the questions? The second half, I mean, I don't know if that's going to be in the question. Just like, and then some defensive notes, I guess. I was just, um, it was just I crazy don't... to me how open the second half was and how back and forth it was. And even like when neither team, the way I worded it in my immediate reaction was that both teams went at each other like they were punching each other on the counterattack and they were both making just terrible decisions in the final hurdle. Yeah, so the second half was weird as hell because. You know, just one way to sum it up was we outshot the Levante by 10 shots, 12 to 2 in the first half. The second half was 6 to 6. Um, trying to explain why a game state goes from one where we're really controlling the ball completely to one where it's just 50 50 end to end is always quite a challenge because you're having to make a lot of inferences. And, you know, I'll preface it by saying I'm just not really sure, but I have some ideas. One, I think Levante's press affected things. I thought it was a terrible press first off. Like, it, it was not good. You know, there was a couple moments where Casemiro, like, made some, you know, dumb passes or whatever, but that was about it. And we were mostly cutting through it. But when, you know, we, we went behind their defensive line, we made some dumb decisions in the final third. We couldn't finish. And Levante immediately counterattacked. So it just created this end-to-end atmosphere where we'd break the press, we wouldn't make the most of it, we'd lose the ball, and we were not like in a in a structural position to then stop the counterattack. And then this I'm less sure about, but it could play a factor that when Hazard got injured, combined with how things 
chaotic things had gotten, it just kind of like shook the team a little bit, you know, and it, it just kind of like threw everyone off their rhythm and it, our players just forgot, you know, about like their, uh, about the need to control the game and just kind of like accepted the game flow. And it was just like back and forth the rest of the way with, you know, Levante's press instigating it and then Hazard's injury just kind of rattling everyone. And then it did not help when Zidane, which to me was a mistake. Like I, I think the second half should have been about sticking with our approach, but just trying to do it a little better. And then when Zidane was like, all right, take off Isco. Obviously Hazard had to come off, which is fine. Put Vinicius on and, you know, let's go to regular 4-3-3. Just get the ball forward, like pump it down the flanks and just cross it in Shalar. That... <laughs> that you know I think that just made the game even more chaotic and you know it was a case of I think the players accepting that and then Zidane eventually accepting that and it did not suit us at all it suited Levante far more to go end-to-end trading shots back and forth and yeah it's that's not like I don't think it covers every single reason for why that may have happened but I think those are some critical reasons for why and it was disappointing because defensively there were some moments, right? Like we mentioned that one where Morales just didn't make the pass pass to Mayoral for some reason. But largely, I thought, you know, with Isco was really disciplined in getting back to that right wing role when we're off the ball into that four one four one structure that that I really like and I think Zidane does well when he's allowed to do it. And without Ronaldo, like pretty much every game now, that's the kind of defensive structure we have. When we pressed, it was pretty good. The counter, like transition defense, was not perfect, and I think that comes with the diamond. I think that comes with the fluidity of like the positioning. But the first half, we just didn't concede that much. And to see not only the way things have fell apart offensively in the second half, but defensively, it was just, it was kind of depressing. I don't know, I don't know any other way to put it. And it was definitely disappointing. And it felt like we allowed Levante with a really bad press to kind of ch- completely change the way the game was being played. And, you know, into a way that no longer favored us. And that was disappointing. Like, the second half was really where we made a lot of mistakes and, you know, also got unlucky with that Morales goal. Um, <clears throat> let's take some questions. I think that's going to take into us into a bunch of different places uh, that we need to go to still. And also, um, <clears throat> I just want to bring up some Manchester City things with you before we close. So... <clears throat> Uh, I don't even know where to start with this first question. Um, let me just actually first say that patreon.com slash managing Madrid is where you go to pledge. Um, if you're not attending the live podcast on Thursday in Madrid for the Manchester City postgame slash, slash El Clasico preview uh, and you want to listen to it, you can only listen to it on Patreon. So patreon.com slash managing Madrid if you want access to that. Uh, this week's loan tracker, the mailbag, and so many other bonus shows. Uh, make sure you're a patron. Although um, Mimo <clears throat> God bless his soul, um, has uh, has sent us an essay, and he's very emotional, and I completely understand that. Um, but I'm, we're just going to give you guys the too long, didn't read uh, version of this. Um, Regulon needs to come back next season. Why the hell are we crossing so much? We do not have the players we had before, so you can't see that crossing... Yeah, is not going to work. Why the hell is Rodrigo not on the bench? This is a game Valverde should start. His presence is just so vital. And yes, I get Manchester City and Barcelona are coming up. Um, Cruz, Modric, and Casemiro were all around the place, and it didn't even look like we had a structured midfield. 
Um, we do need finishers, and I'm sorry, but Benzema cannot be our main striker next season. It's just not possible. Uh, so there's a lot in this question. I think you guys, that's that. those are the main talking points. The absence of Valverde is interesting to note. Rodrigo, by the way, Jose Luis Sanchez reported that is, is going to be playing with Castilla tomorrow. I don't... <laughs> So I, don't, I doubt he's going to be playing for Manchester, with the with the the team against Manchester City. Um, should be fun watching Castilla tomorrow if, if both Rodrigo and Reynier play though. Um, but Fede's absence is interesting to note because anytime him and I'd extend this to Mendy, but we already talked about that Mendy Marcelo thing. But Fede Valverde not in the team changes the team's dynamic somehow. I think he's a bit underrated offensively too because his movements in the right half space are so good that he t- just throws everything out of whack. When defenses are trying to trying to mark him because his energy is so frenetic, um, but he wasn't there today. That I think that impacted the the game somewhat. Although most of the problems here were probably apart from defensive transition, which Fede would have helped him that right side for sure. Um, were offensive, but I'm curious to know how much you think his absence played a, played a part. So, in the second half, when the game got super chaotic. I think maybe a little bit there, but Valverde did come on and, you know, he, he had some good like defensive recoveries, like protecting behind, but like, to me, this was not a case of maybe with Hazard, you know, with, with the injury recovery thing, but that's not even really related to like, you know, the performance in the first half, because, you know, he, you know, he wasn't perfect, but you know, the, the, the tactics offensive plan was fine. I just don't think this game in general was a case of the wrong players being out on the pitch. You're right, I think, to talk about Valverde's movements in the right half space, like versus PSG, his aggressive and I think quite intelligent positioning there was actually extremely critical. Um, that to, to to like basically pinning PSG's line back and I, like I, I I really personally I really enjoy that type of positioning. To me, I I find that crucial. I think it's underutilized a lot by Zidane to be able to just manipulate opposition structures just with where you're placing the chess pieces on the board. But today we had that without Valverde, with either Isco being in that position or when Isco drifted left, or when Modric you know went up and he did that. So so we had that. Um, I. I think we could have easily won, you know, with the players we had on the pitch. I'm not sure, you know, changing pieces would have necessarily made a huge difference or that we needed to. Like, if we couldn't win with this 11 against the way Levante played, you know, there's there's, there's a very big problem. And we, you know, are, again, like, we, we should have won this game. Just even just taking, changing nothing that happened with the chances we had, the chances Levante had, we should have won. And now, assuming we can actually stick to the game plan that we had in the second half, you know, I, I think we should have won. I, because I, it was it was it was an issue of one, a little bit of execution, um, you know, and I'm not sure like switching out Rodrigo for you know Isco is really going to change. In fact, I think that would make it worse because Isco was really good that game, this game, and then it was a question of not sticking to the game plan. And I don't think Valverde coming on changes how we stick to the game plan because. One, that's down to the veterans in the team and then also Zidane on the sideline as difficult as it is to try to like keep Real Madrid doing things that were positive but just hadn't seen like the the, the fruits you know of, of the process yet. So yeah, I'm just not convinced that it makes a huge difference to like switch some players out here and there. Like um, maybe I would a person I would start at Vinicius instead of Hazard because of the injury thing, but that's about it. And I think you're kind of like missing what the problems were in the game if you thought like switching players out was necessarily going to change things. Um, 
maybe Jovic, I, I don't know, but just maybe Jovic would have been sharper, even though he hasn't been sharper this season. But as you mentioned, he's six. So the lineup wasn't really a problem for me. Uh, no, me neither. And again, in most cases, Hazard and Benzema put those chances away, or at least one of them away. Um, Ian Marley says, this has been the song for most of the season. Defensively, it's been better. Transition to the, off to, to the offense, good. When we get to the box where it matters, either we are cross FC, we look, we look clueless, or we just aren't clinical at all. So many games, I've just felt like we get lucky in our goals, or in some, I just don't see us scoring no matter how much we circulate the ball. At one point, I gave up watching this Levante game because, uh, and I went to do something else. I came back, and we were being pinned back out of nowhere. It might sound like a rant, but it is so agonizing. I'm really sorry, guys. I just know we can do better. And I also just want to read this one, Marin Myrtle. This one came in before the game, so the tone is a bit sweeter. Uh, Marin says, when Zidane returned a lot, when Zidane returned, a lot of people felt it was a backwards move, and we should have held out for someone like Pac. Knowing how things turned out, would you trade Zidane for Pac now? I've turned completely around because my biggest issue with Zidane was defensive instability, and that's gone. I trust that Zidane wants to keep evolving. His flaws now might not be his flaws a year from now. And most importantly, I don't think anyone else could have stabilized the club like he did. The club feels calm now, and that's almost never the case. These days, I just think about how close this came to not happening. If we hadn't had one disastrous week, the board might not have gone to him out of desperation. If he's the one to oversee a successful rebuild, that week from hell might be the best thing to happen to us since Zidane took over the first time. Hopefully this statement doesn't sound ridiculous in May. Well, it's kind of unknown if you ask me what's what the conversation is going to be in May. <laughs> um, you just never know, but I don't know. Where, where do you stand on this? I mean, I will say that I think the potential benefits of Pochettino compared to Zidane, like looking at it now, is less not necessarily because how things were at Tottenham changed my mind. In my opinion, that was somewhat of inevitability just with the way, like, it was just poorly managed, you know, signing no one. And then, you know, Poch having to, you know, run his players into the ground to, like, compete on all fronts, make the Champions League final. Like, you know, there, you know, you just see moments where, like, all right, coach is there for, like, five, six years. You know, it's the time's up. It naturally comes to an end, like Allegri with Juventus as well. Um, but more, like, because I think Zidane... Um, so, yeah, like the potential benefits, I think, decreases just because Zidane has impressed me more, mainly on the defensive front. And so I, I I think it's valid to say, like, you know, if you were to switch, I can see why you say Zidane. Zidane has some intangibles as well with, as um, Marin mentioned, with this ability to create calm in the club, with this ability, I think, to, like, get this unreal buy-in from every player on the squad that, like, says – okay, Zidane, if you say do this, I will do this. And I trust you more than anyone else I've trusted before. Um, so I think it makes a difficult question. I mean, I don't really know. Um, I I still really want Pochettino somewhere down the line. I think he would have been, in my opinion, at the very least as good an option as Zidane is right now to do this new rebuild. But I will say that Zidane has, you know, done very well up until this point and like if you were to say right now you swatch the two swap the two coaches i wouldn't do it that that wouldn't make any sense because i think zidane in general is taking us on a decent path though when it comes to his evolution um i haven't yet seen the offensive evolution i would i, I would like and that's kind of what like ian ian was talking about sorry 
um, about like, you know, the crossing FC thing, you know, there's still that and it doesn't suit the kinds of players we have right now. I think that needs to change, but defensively it's been impressive. Um, you know, part of that driven by the, the players that we were able to play. And then I think also some, you know, some subtle adjustments from the Zidane that's created more consistency. So I think it's a much, much tougher question than it was, um, at least for me, like in August. Well, um, this is where um, it's this time of year where Zidane's teams traditionally turn up, right? You know, just before springtime, just for the in time for the Champions League knockout games. These are the games. Um, I so I I don't know. I have I have some questions for you. I want to I want to turn this to Manchester City a little bit. I'll, I'll go over okay. some of the stuff that Nico said in part one. Um, I guess just like the uh, the quick rundown of what Nico said was. He's more scared of the four three three than the than the diamond. Um, he's scared of Hazard, and um, that that's I guess not great news um, for us that Hazard might not play. But um, the reason why he's more scared of the four three three, and I and I'm writing a huge column about this, and I've been back and forth, and I'm just kind of trying to put out all the pros and the cons and all the different angles because I don't. There's no one blueprint that like it's like oh this is the one you use. This is the one. I think there's like there's so many different ways and you have to look at it holistically and you're going to sacrifice certain things if you go with one and, and vice versa. Um, the the diamond will give you some control. It will, and and by the way, I, I, I want to take Isco out of this conversation because Isco's going to play regardless if you ask me. Because if especially if Hazard's not going to play, even if you don't play the diamond, un, unless it's Vinicius who takes that Hazard role, I mean, Isco and Hazard can play that role um, down that left wing just fine. Uh, but I think East goes in. If if Hazard doesn't play, East goes in for sure. If you ask me, because he could go the four five one route like he did against Valencia with with like five midfielders, or he could go um, with East on the left. Uh, but then the alternative, obviously, is Vinicius on the left. And then if you go with Vinicius on the left, you can you can still go with East on the diamond. So I think East is in regardless. So I'm going to separate the discussion. But the pros of the the diamond is you get control and. Um, you get a lot. Of, you can get a lot of possession, um, but you might not be. You might be a little bit defanged offensively. You might not have that extra kind of oomph and grit um, out wide on the on the right. Which uh, where where City, if you want to punish their high line, you know you want to get in behind Benjamin Mendy, especially on that on that side, um, and you want to test them a little bit, and and you want to really run at an old Fernandinho. Um, you and and also the other thing is if if you if you want to help protect the fullbacks who will no doubt be tested against Sterling uh, and Bernardo Silva or Mares or whoever plays on that opposite flank, probably Mares, then you're gonna need someone like a Bale. Um, now the problem with Bale is like I don't know if you're gonna get Bale against Barcelona or you're gonna get Bale against Celta, um, and uh, it's it's hard to. to to, to figure out which one will show up. Your hunch in saying that maybe he'll show up more because it's a big game could be correct if you if that was your hunch. Um, your other option, if you don't trust Bale, is you could go with Rodrigo, who doesn't seem like he's going to play, or uh, Lucas Vasquez, who we know who he is. I guess the problem is like someone like Lucas Vasquez and any other winger in Real Madrid's, uh, uh, in Real Madrid's pocket right now, they're sealing is lower than Bale's, but their floor is higher. 
So you can kind of get like a baseline of what you're going to get if you play someone like that. But you also don't get the the potential of, you know, Bale doing something absolutely spectacular either from distance or just setting a, a blaze of that on that flank behind Mendy. You don't get that. So Nico's point was, you know, what's the point of trying to outpossess Guardiola? Like his Achilles heel is he has a high line. And Real Madrid have press-resistant players. They can get out of that press quickly, which means they have a lot of space to exploit behind the back. If you're just going to like pass the ball around and try to look for openings against City, you're, it's going to be difficult to break break them down. And I think it's a valid point. Um, and I, I, I've, I've already started writing about this in my column even before the conversation with Nico, that City would be fine if you want to slow the game down a little bit, let them get back in transition. Their transition defense is pretty good. Um, but if you give them time also, and Laporte's back now to kind of organize and marshal things, as much as I think, you know, that you know that PSG lineup that was pretty sexy and, you know, you had the right wing pretty much entirely dedicated to Carvajal, I think Carvajal is going to need help defending on that flank. Unless you just think Fede Valverde is going to be that guy on that right wing, even though he's not a right winger. So I, I'm just curious to know what you think uh, is the best approach. Yeah, so, I mean, I wouldn't overthink it. Um, the, the the primary issue with Manchester City this season, and I don't know how much it changes. I mean, it, it should change positively with Laporte coming back, but it, it might take a while. I think, there's, I think there's like a mental aspect of it as well with City having played that way so far this season and the league being gone. Um, but the main issue is that they're actually good at shot suppression. They're not conceding many shots at all, but the ones they are conceding are far and away, you know, the highest, you know, quality in the league, mm. and they're coming in defensive transition situations. Um, so don't overthink it. I think you play on the counterattack, and I think you play in a manner that, you know, seeks to kind of exploit that so the only argument i see for the diamond is a press resistant one like i agree you're not going to outpossess a guardiola side but like um you know one of the people i've been discussing with keeps arguing for the diamond um and he keeps saying for for, for a press resistant perspective and i can kind of see it you know like having you know the diamond and packing the midfield does help press resistance a little bit but i also don't think it's massively superior than us playing in a 4-3-3. I think you still have plenty of press-resisting players on the pitch. I just think it it's a lot better suited defensively. One, our defensive transition is better with that. It's slightly with worse the than the diamond? diamond just because of defensive transition. What did I say? Did I say better? Yeah. Better with that, not in the diamond. Right, So. Okay. Because just naturally, just because of how, you know, the, all, there's more fluidity, there's more roaming, it's just harder to quickly get back into that counter-pressing shape or to reorganize in a deeper stance. It's better when we're not in the diamond. And so we're think, we're, when we're talking about City, we're still talking about the best offensive side in world football in terms of the amount of expected goals they're producing. They, they haven't necessarily finished at the rates they want to. And defensively has been an issue, but they still create a ton of chances, and you still have to. Suddenly, you can like ignore that, right? It's not just a question of like, oh, how am I going to deal with the press? You have to think about all aspects, and I just think having naturally, you know, always having that kind of like four men in midfield with Casemiro in behind, you know, with the dedicated wingers on either side, and then catering your your and, and making sure that that's safer for transition defense because in the 4-3-3 the transition defense has been 
quite solid. So cater cater to to against City's strengths and then cater you know to their weaknesses. And to me, that's simple: play play the four three three. You know, get that defensive with naturally. You know, and then look to play on the counter attack. Look to break through the press, and you know, attack their last line as best as possible. To me, it's 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 a simple strategy. I'm not saying it's simple to execute, but I think the strategy and the blueprint to, to, to face City this season is is simple. And I don't think there's a reason to really try to go in overcomplicated. I think the PSG game was different. One, I didn't think their pressing was particularly good. You mentioned that earlier, Keon. City's press is 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 different and. It's, it's much better. They have much harder working for us. The issue is not necessarily the press. It's once you get past it, which doesn't happen often. But once you do, that's when City are vulnerable. And so I think we'll have those opportunities, whether it's the diamond, whether it's the 4-3-3. Um, in terms of who to start on the right flank, that's why like this whole Rodrigo thing is weird to me. Like I guess Castilla could use him. I know Raul requested Rodrigo, but like come on, the first team matters more. And with the options we have, I, I would... I think he'd be the guy to start. Um, at the, just looking at the present options, I would go with Lucas Vasquez. Um, the floor ceiling thing you were talking about, I think we know what we'll get with him, and I think he'll help out defensively a lot. And I think most of our attacks will come through the left anyway. And I don't think it's likely Hazard will start. Um, I, I sincerely hope he does. But in that case, you know, Vinicius playing on the counterattack with Kroos there, you know, with, with, with Mendy there, like, that could be the key to winning this game because we know how devastating this kid is on the break. And yeah, I mean, to me, that's that's the approach. The overall approach is simple. I would play Lucas Vazquez, not the sexiest choice, not the most exciting choice, but I think Lucas, Benzema, Vinicius, Kroos, Casemiro, Valverde, Carvajal, Ramos, Veron, Mendy, Courtois, 4-3-3. That's my lineup. So... Uh... The more I kind of just reflect on it, reflect on it and think about what Nico said and kind of just going back over my research because, like, I, I, I have one scenario that I don't think is completely off the table, um, which is an unlikely scenario if you think about it because Manchester City are so good offensively, like, so good. Like, an elite level, they just, they are just, they just create chances like crazy. Um, and their defense hasn't been that good this season. And you look at... The, the games they've really struggled in, like Manchester United, um, Tottenham, Wolves, all they all took advantage of City's high line. Um, <clears throat> I think there's also a scenario on the table where this is going to be a really boring game. <clears throat> Grind out in the midfield, not many chances. And the reason I say that because um, if Hazard doesn't play, I don't think it's crazy that Zidane just goes with his, his a really boring but trusted lineup of all of his trusted servants, the ones he trusts most. And that's Isco, Fede Valverde, Luka Modric, Casemiro, Kroos, all together in the same midfield. Uh, Fede would be the guy on the right, basically the, the right winger, which he played in the Supercopa and actually did well there, even though that's not his best role because he can do so many things. And and Guardiola, like how many times have we seen him go into a Champions League game and st- suddenly become really conservative? Like start to like sweat it out. Like, okay, I can't, I don't, I can't lose the Champions League again, especially after I've bottled the league now. Um, I want to make sure I don't concede, so I'll play a little bit deeper. I'll keep the ball. I'll rest with the ball. I'll pass it to death, and Real Madrid have a million midfielders. It's just going to be a bloodbath in midfield. I think that scenario is on the table. I don't, you know, um, and 
I don't know. It just you could you could potentially get a very low scoring or nil nil game in the first leg, and then go back to the Etihad, which would be kind of ideal if you don't concede any away goals, obviously, and you can do your damage there. I think that scenario is on the table. It's possible. Um, either way, I'd go with that four three three because I think it's easier to adapt the four three three to kind of what you want. It's not like you cannot play like a possession based game or battle in midfield with that. Whereas I just think the diamond is more limiting um, just with the, the options you can do, just kind of naturally how it If Isco is to play, um, in my opinion, he should play on the left wing. Um, like you mean I, not in the free roll, just like a, a left winger, like the yeah, hazard basically. Wing. Yeah. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm not necessarily opposed to that. Like Isco has been kind of frustrating for me this season because I don't know what to expect. It's been 50% performing like, you know, okay, I'm, Casemiro in possession and let me go in between center backs and then 50% is like what we saw today um, and then versus PSG um, like there's a risk versus City that I don't know exactly who I'm getting um, but you know if if you take these last couple performances and you say like Isco's getting back in the form right he had that injury you know, he hardly played on the Solari and you know he's getting back into that groove I can see an argument for him playing but to me that would have to be left wing though like you said Keon um, one, I find it hard to see how Zidane won't play him, especially with, you know, Rodrigo not being there, blah, blah, blah. And two, it is possible to play Vinicius up top with Benzema and, you know, keep that diamond, though I'm not a huge fan of that personally. Um, but yeah, whatever it is, I'm not just saying diamond will be disastrous. I, I don't think that's the optimal way to go about it. Whatever City end up doing, I think start with 4 3 3 and then adapt from there. So I, um, I remember before the final against Liverpool in 2018, um, I wrote a huge article basically like previewing that game tactically. And I came to the conclusion after like 3,000 or so more words that Zidane should not play the line, the, the diamond in that game and should go with Bale instead of Isco. <clears throat> Ultimately, I think I was vindicated because Bale won yes. the game. And Liverpool I mean, also because in. also because we were conceding actually a ton of chances in like the first... 20 minutes but yeah. go on and and also because that entire season defensively the diamond was just it might as well just been made out of um dis- uh, dissolvable sand it just disintegrated because <laughs> like everyone Not was out of sand solvable sand well it just i just wanted to make sure you knew that it was a very very like frail weak sand that dissolves easily um ultimately like Anytime Real Madrid lost the ball, you had no idea where Isco was defensively. His teammates didn't know where he was defensively. Casemiro was playing as a number nine. And Modric and Kroos were already in the final third. And it was Marcelo already in the final third. So you had Ramos and Varane. It was like eight on ten, eight on two. And uh, and they were squeaking by like very like and, and this is the thing, <laughs> this is one thing I mentioned. I might as well just spoil my entire column. But one thing I I I, I was writing about was like you look at Zidane's track record in, in Europe and the Champions League, and it's like flawless, obviously, because he hasn't lost, he hasn't been knocked out of the Champions League yet. So it's like statistically, it's flawless. De facto, he has not been knocked out. Then you look at, <laughs> you look at the process of it. It's a bloodbath every time. Like rarely does he go over two legs, like unscathed. Like oh, that was comfortable. Even when you think it's comfortable, it's not. You had Juventus, you were up three nil, then you. You then you went down three 0 at the Bernabeu and had a penalty at the end. Uh, Bayern extra time tw- uh, twice, complete uh, gut wrenching bloodbath twice. Uh, Wolfsburg you had to come back at home. 
Uh, Atleti, you won, you you win the the first game three nil. Then you go down two nil in the Calderon. Uh, then you then Benzema with a moment of genius. Then you you lose that game two one in advance. It's always, always, um, almost always really really tough. And despite getting through it every time you you've ha- we've had to script it through multiple times and. Um, so it's going to be gut wrenching either way, I think. But um, oh, what was that? I was talking about the diamond and stuff. So oh, my my hunch was that I think <laughs> the diamond would not work in this game either. Um, that's my hunch. I just think like yeah. the the big teams know it's coming, and Simeone, I like honestly like played it pretty much perfectly. We had to beat them in a penalty shootout, the, and then um, and then scrape by them the second time. Um, Unless Guardiola is going in, into that game against the Diamond and saying, I'm not going to press you. I'm going to let you guys do whatever you guys want, just like you did against Valencia, and that's not going to happen. So I think it's going to be difficult to use that formation again. Um, that's my hunch. Uh, but the the difference you know, now between the Liverpool game from that Champions League final and now is that Bale is not that good anymore. As long as it's not that horrible five-man midfield thing, I'll take anything. I just I, I don't want to see that again. Yeah. Um, um, report just came out that Real Madrid could not travel back to Madrid by plane because of fog, so they're driving back from Valencia. No doubt Guardiola is like dancing when he hear, hears that. News. <laughs> they're going to sleep like, I, I like mean, two hours later tonight, at least. Yeah. So I guess I guess last point for me, I just needless to say that whatever happens, it ne- there needs to be an extreme amount of clinicality because again. Mm-hmm. To ram home point, the issue with City is not that they're conceding a ton of chances. It's the ones they do are very dangerous. And so that is not a good thing for City. But it also means that I think like the variance of like the variance of the entire thing increases, right? Because we could miss three really good chances and then that's it. And, and we lose the game, even though, you know, those were good enough for us to like win 3-0. You know, each chance by themselves is good enough to add up to all of that. And we can't see what we saw today. We can't see Benzema missing that chance. And then we can't see Hazard, who's probably not going to play, but we can't see, you know, whoever is going to play in Hazard's position, go through on goal, just not able to bring the ball down and just, like, hit this really weak shot. So, like, it's going to be tough, right? Like, if Vinicius is playing, that puts some pressure on him because he's, he's really come back with some great performances recently. But, you know... The shooting is still an issue. Um, and then Benzema has to refine his form because it is fair to point out these last seven, eight games or so, not exactly the same Benzema we saw to start the season and, you know, going throughout, like, you know, basically fall into the winter. And he actually is now underperforming his expected goals a little bit after starting the season overperforming a little bit. So there has been a bit of a finishing slump and, you know, that can't be that, that can't happen versus City. There has to be we get that chance, we score, and you know, if that doesn't happen, it, it could turn out very differently. Um I'm like I'm basically saying like this is the equivalent analysis of saying like we live in a society, this is extremely obvious, but at the same time, like I just think that's kind of the way um all games against City go. And if you win it's not because you didn't necessarily create enough, but you basically finished off every single good chance you had. And that has to happen from us. And if it doesn't, you know, it could go differently. And that may be one thing I think is, is reasonably worried about. But then again, you know, City have been very vulnerable this season. So like, I, I see this very much as kind of like 50-50 going in. And I think 
I, I think overall it would be wrong to look at these last two games and say, this is it, you know, Real Madrid, there's no chance we go in, City are going to destroy us. I, I think you look at the totality of our performance across the season and think, I think, still keep a slight bit of optimism going into the City game. I think that's fair. Um, one last thing to just end the podcast on is is about the, the upcoming podcast on Thursday. Um, m- many patrons have messaged us and asked if we can live stream it somehow or there's if there's video footage of it. Um, and, and, uh, there was a, there's a long comment from Sergio Arispe, one of our $10 plus patrons who, um, who asked, you know, was kind of sad about not being able to attend, felt that there's a lot of others who probably feel the same way, would love to just kind of see a video recording of it somehow, offer to, to pledge and maybe set up a fund for us to invest in video equipment. That's very kind of you, Sergio. But I think also what we're trying to do is, you know, once we get to our goal of 1000 patrons, part of the goal and part of the reason we want to. Um, grow our Patreon so that we can invest in equipment and and hire people to to document these these uh, live recordings, um, which we're planning on doing monthly uh, moving forward, either in Madrid or in other cities. Wherever the team goes, we'll try to go there and, and do a, a recording there. Um, we'll try to do something like that for this one. I don't know exactly what yet. I'm going to talk to some people to see if we can get some gear. If we can't live stream it, um, then maybe we'll. Uh, We'll, we'll record it somehow. <clears throat> uh, I think, I'm not sure, Patreon, I believe, has a live streaming option. So we'll see what we can do. Uh, we won't, this will be a, it won't be a free podcast, so we, we won't be live streaming it on social media or anything, but we'll see what we can do. We'll do our best. Um, Om, any other concluding thoughts or are we going to wrap it up? No. All right, let's do patron shout outs. Um, again, patreon.com slash managing Madrid. If you pledge $10 or more, you get a specific shout out on the podcast. Um, so shout out to all of our amazing patrons. Shout out to these specific patrons uh, who pledge $10 or more. As I just pull this up, uh, just give me a second. Um, all right, hold on. Okay. Here's the list. Ready? Mikhail Nilsson. Frederick Sundros. John Fernandez. Said Mahat. Bellaccio. Adam Dorsey. Frederick Rantakiro. Leon Stavernakis. Christian Gonzalez. Bjorn Salvador. Essa Hariri. Ilian Zacco. Yahya Ibrahim. Willie Reed. Nick Rivero. Uh, Eric Rogers. Tyler Simon. Sad Omar. Oluwapamimo. Oladonjoy. Christian Toff. Charles Williams. Tark Sphere. Kunal Tilakar, Marin Myrtle, Tyler Dixon, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Poluri, Gary Kohut, Sujaiwani, Peña Maridisa, San Francisco Bay Area, Brennan Stevens, Castro Moscala, Catherine Fagundo, Zoran Bostancic, Rafael Servia, Karen Scherer, Somanchu Singh, Brennan Powers, Omar Umair Muhari, Rovi Tahiab, Anthony Armesto, Shabazz Sharapov, Varun Bernard Kufour, Ashik Bashar, AMB6901, Faisal Hamdan, Alex Perez, Muxit Thangal, Sergio Arispe, Graham Gerard, Basil Adil, Kevin Rivera, Michael Cruchon, Zafar Chadhuri, Keith Lizenby, Hassan Chowdhury, Adrian Holland Anderson, Magnus Lex, Jason Fitz, Solomon Ortiz, Fabian Moreno, Daniel Smith, and Philip Hammer. Our list keeps growing. It's amazing. Thank you guys so much for your support. Hope to see you guys all um, on Thursday in Madrid, but also Matt and I have a loan tracker coming up on Tuesday. We have plenty to talk about, namely Odegaard, um, Atraf, 
and Kubo and a bunch of other lonies who had a, a noteworthy weekend. Ordeo Zola also played his, uh, had his first start for Bayern. So make sure to tune in for that over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. Omar, thank you so much. And Hala Madrid. Hala Madrid. <laughs>